Grab your Bibles. First Corinthians chapter seven. Because the sovereign Lord 
wants to work all things together for good for those that love and serve Him and are called according to His purpose. Amen? Amen. So this morning, don't, don't shut your ears. Don't, don't harden your hearts. Uh, today, the Bible says, if you hear God's voice, harden not your heart. And today, I promise you, you as we read Scripture, you get to hear God's voice. I may be the one reading it, but it's God's voice that it's, it's His Spirit that pinned the words down. So don't harden your heart to that. Listen to the words of a loving God who wants you to trust Him as Lord over your life. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Last week we talked about Paul's teachings and we really could call them warnings against sexual immorality. Amen? Yeah. Summing it up, he says that we as believers should have nothing to do with sexual immorality. We should flee from it. That our body is a member, our, our, our body is a member of Christ. And that we're one spirit with Him. That our body is not our own. Amen? Yeah. If you can't amen that, we're in trouble. That's just Scripture. It belongs to the Lord. It was bought with a price. Therefore, our calling is to glorify God in our bodies because they belong to Him. And the Bible says when we commit sexual sin, immorality, we sin against the body which belongs to the Lord. This is going to be important to remember because as we get into chapter 7, especially the first little part, our body belonging to the Lord is important. That If He's not Lord over your body, you're going to hate these Scriptures. Here's what you need to know about chapter 7. Paul received a letter from some of the Christians at Corinth. So as he's responding, he writes these first six chapters to to help them get refocused and recentered in Christ. They had slipped off into carnality somewhat. They had been distracted and taken their eyes off the prize. And he, those first six chapters, he's, he's chastening them and he's, he's confronting them about their sinfulness and their worldliness. And now he's going to take a moment and pause and answer some questions that they sent him. They wrote him a letter and asked these questions about his teachings and so they're going to ask some important issues, right? They're going to hit on some things like being single and being married and about divorce and about sex and abstaining from sex. And this will take me two Sundays to get through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but hopefully we'll be able to get done in two. It's 40 verses. These are important issues because Paul had taught them what we've been learning as we go through Corinthians, that sexual immorality... Anyone who is sexually immoral cannot inherit the kingdom of God, is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know why that's important to us? You say, well, that's, I can see why he wrote it to them. Why is it important to me? Because the same is true today. It's not changed. These are practical problems that we face as Christians today. The odds are that some that are listening, whether here in the church or some that are watching maybe online or whatever the case may be, that the odds are that they need answers to these questions too. Yeah. These are real relevant questions. 
These are real struggles in people's hearts, in their homes, in their marriages. And the answer to these questions from a biblical perspective could change your life for the better. It's easy to dismiss them. It's easy to laugh them off because maybe they're a little embarrassing or maybe they're a little bit um, uh, uh, awkward. And so you just want to laugh them off. Don't do that. I beg of you not to do that. They're really important. They're important enough for God's Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. They're important enough for Him to include them in this Bible. So they shouldn't be laughed away. If any part of the message troubles you, confuses you, we can talk about it together. Let me know. We can sit down. We can dig into God's Word together. If at any point you think I teach something that's contrary to what you know, tell me. Talk to me afterwards and say, look, and if I've done it wrong and you've got a Scripture to show, we'll repent of that thing. But I want to be true to the Word. I can't preach it and worry about feelings. You have to know that. I can't preach it. I would be doing you a disservice if I worried about your feelings. I have to just preach the truth. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. All 40 verses. All 40. We're not going to make it through all 40, but we're going to read all 40 because they go together. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. Your scripture may say, do benevolence. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession and not as commandment for I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Don't get confused. We're going to clarify all that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. We're going to clarify what that means. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. 
Or how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. Yet I give judgment as one in whom the Lord His mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose therefore that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who would use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world. How he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I want to put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and is so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, he does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, but only in the Lord. But she's happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. You see why this is going to take more than one Sunday? There's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack. Um, and it's complicated. And for me to try to teach it, I want to read it as if we received those same questions and we don't have the letter that they wrote to Paul, but we can kind of surmise what the questions were. And we'll tackle the first question, which is, given the danger, 
I, this is the way I, I imagine the question to be phrased. Paul, given the danger of sexual immorality, should we even have sex at all? Should that even be a thing? Now this probably had other questions attached to it. It could have said, if I'm single, should I stay single or should I seek to be married? Does it matter in regards to sexual immorality? And it could have been, if I'm married, should I divorce my spouse and, stay and, and become single? There's all kinds of ways that the question should be. It could have been that they, and this was a common thought uh, in the early church, uh, and, and, and it kind of spread, but Paul's going to talk about it. It could be that they thought, if we're married, we should just agree to not have sex together. Remain celibate now. This is not a popular section of the Bible. No t-shirts, no bumper stickers from 1 Corinthians 7. Amen? True. It's rarely preached because it's very personal. It's very personal. And I, I want you to know I recognize the, 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 the sensitivity of it and that there may be all kinds of issues for people in this area, but there's help for you in God's Word. There's help for your marriage. There's help for your if you're struggling with sexual sin. There's clear answers right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So what does Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how does he answer that question? What does he write? Look at verses 1 and 2. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. That's just a, a Jewish way of saying to not have sexual relations with a woman. It's good for a man... Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, what Paul is saying is that it's okay to remain single. It's okay to remain a virgin. But the general rule for most people is that they need to have a, they have a need, they have a desire for sexual relationships, and to have that desire met, it must be in the context of marriage. And so he says the general rule is to have a, a healthy sexual relationship in marriage. And the reason for that is because there's a great temptation if you remain single to have sex outside of the context of marriage. The Bible really shows us at least four key reasons why marriage is the general rule for most people. Let me just touch those quickly. One is partnership. Where do I get that from? How about in Genesis when he said, it's not good for man to be alone. There's a partnership that needs to take place. Men and women have different strengths and weaknesses and, and most of us need a partner. We need someone to help us to be strong where maybe we're weak. You ever notice that in most relationships, maybe not all, but in most relationships, one spouse is strong in an area where the other spouse is weaker. Yeah. And so you need partnership. You need, a, you need a partner who, when you get puffed up in pride, who can help humble you, and nobody can humble you like your spouse. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You don't have to say the amens. I'll do the amens. Chess is That's fine. It's all good. You need a partner who will challenge you when you're wrong. You need somebody to, to help you 
In marriage, a husband and wife hold each other to a degree of accountability for serving the Lord, especially in Christian marriage. Amen? So partnership is one reason. Procreation is another reason. Remember, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Right? So, so that's a, this is the continuation of population. Right? This is the origin of the family. This was God's design. This was a part of the reason God instituted marriage so that families would be instituted. There's, there's, so there's partnership. There's procreation. Pleasure is another reason. If you don't believe that, read, I told you last week, read Song of Solomon. The dialogue between Solomon and his new bride. His, his bride said to him, she said, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. Ma marriage is also a, a, about pleasure. And, and listen, the Song of Solomon, if you, it, I don't know if you read it or not, it's weird. Right? I mean, I read it again this week and it was like he was he was saying things like you have teeth like sheep and your your nose is like the towers of Lebanon. And I thought that wouldn't do it for me. Right? That, that may do it for her, but it, it wouldn't wouldn't do it for me. <laughs> I don't don't let don't let me get down this road. Pray for me. I don't want to I don't want to get out of sorts. Pleasure. Purity, though, is the other reason. That's what we're reading about here, right? Marriage helps both the man and the woman to avoid sexual immorality. So you've got these four reasons. Partnership, procreation, pleasure, and purity. And so Paul says it's okay to remain single if you're single. And he's going to talk a lot more about that later and probably next week when we really get into that. But he said, but considering sexual immorality and the likelihood of sexual sin for those that remain single, marriage is going to be more appropriate for most. It's not that complicated. It makes sense. And since Paul is primarily focusing on the purity aspect of marriage here, he goes on to instruct those that are married. And he answers the question of, should we just stop even if we're married? Should we be celibate within our marriage? And he says, no. No. He said, let each man have his own wife. That word have there doesn't just mean possess, right? But it means, if you read it in the NIV, for instance, it would say that each man has sexual relations with his wife. Right? That's what it's implying. He says, let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Notice that own. You're not to have someone else's wife. You're not to have someone else's husband. Hebrews 13 and 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The marriage bed is to remain undefiled. Do you know what it means to defile something? That means to desecrate or to profane or to spoil something that is sacred. 
Sexual intimacy between a, 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 a husband and a wife alone. And in that context, it's sacred. That's a sacred thing. But the marriage bed becomes defiled through adultery and through fornication, through sexual immorality. You're going to have to bear with me because I'm going to tell you that includes pornography. To bring another person or to bring other people into your bedroom, even via your television, defiles. You may say, well, but we both agree. We both agree. The question isn't, do you both agree? The question is, what does God say about the matter? What does God say? Does it contradict Scripture? The answer is yes. Men, you are to have your own wife. Women, you are to have your own husbands. In the time of Corinth, they didn't have pornography. They, didn't, they couldn't go turn the internet on or the TV on, but they had prostitutes. And they were easily accessible. And they used them to meet their sexual needs. And that was sinful. Would you agree with that? Amen. And when we use, when we use pornography, when we use when we look at the TV and see somebody else's husband or wife, and we use them to meet our sexual needs, it's no different. It's no different. Well, what am I supposed to do? We have different desires. We have different. Ideas about how this should work. What should I do? Well, let's look at the next verses because Paul's going to build on that. He's going to give some instruction. They had that question too, I'm sure. And if you don't think these are real issues, talk to any marriage counselor today. They'll tell you, these are issues married people face today. Not just relevant in the Corinthian times. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Do benevolence. Let, let, in other words, you get it, right? The, look at it. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So often you hear that quoted, and it stops at, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, the husband does, and that's all that's quoted. That's not, that's not what it says, though. It's not, that's not the end of that. It says they each have authority over each other's bodies. Amen. Amen? Amen? Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Look at the design of it. The husband is to meet the wife's desire. And the wife is to meet the husband's desire. Their bodies belong to each other. Let me say this. This would have been radical teaching in that day. To say that a wife had authority over her husband's body, they didn't respect women to have authority over much. And I'm not saying that was right. And I think that if anything the Scripture tells us, that women have as much value in the eyes of God as men do at any time. There's no difference in equality, in value. But in this particular time, for Paul to have wrote those words and say, 
A wife has authority over her husband's body that would have not been received well. But do you know why Paul wrote it? Because the Spirit was telling him to write it. And guess who's not concerned if men get mad? God. Paul. Paul says, he didn't say how often. He just says, fulfill each other's desires. Just, just fulfill each other's desires. Meet each other's needs. Mutual submission. Mutual surrender. With love and grace and joy and out of consideration and concern for each other spiritually, meet each other's physical needs. Amen? Amen. This is an area where we get to be a blessing to our spouse. We get to provide for our spouse. We get to help them in the battle against sexual temptation that everybody faces. You say, well, I, I don't think everybody faces it. Uh, it's, everybody faces it to some degree. Maybe different for folks. I understand that. For, for a long time, there was a stigma associated that this was a battle for men only. That's not the case. That's not the case. It is a battle for men. But there's been a lot of modern day things that happens that show that women have just as much lustful capacity as men. Lots of books have been written that Christians have ran to the store to get that prove their lustfulness. Amen? Amen. Let me share a couple of quotes with you. Thomas, quote number one. Listen to this quote. Satan's great strategy when it comes to sex is to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage. And we, we see that, amen? amen? But now listen. And to discourage sex within marriage. It is an equal victory for Satan if he accomplishes either plan. Yeah. Let me share another quote with you. This is from MacArthur. It is clear that sexual relations within marriage are not simply a privilege and a pleasure, but a responsibility. Husbands and wives have a duty to provide sexual satisfaction to each other. The husband has no more right in this regard than his wife does. Amen? Amen. It's so serious of an issue, in fact, that Paul says to, to have a, 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 a space of time in between is... To deprive one another. He says only deny each other for a short time if you agree. That you may have a time of intense prayer or, or fasting. And then come back together again soon. Because if not, it's a guarantee that Satan is going to tempt one or both of you. Why? Well, and Paul doesn't Paul doesn't mince words. This isn't like this isn't just some weakness. It's because we lack self control. Amen? Amen. He says there's a lack of self control. There's a real danger. Listen, meeting sexual needs is a part of the marriage covenant. To withhold that from your spouse is sinful. Lots of times in, in marriage. People use sex or intimacy as a weapon 
And I'm talking to both men and women. If you do everything I want you to do, then. Or if you look the way I want you to look, then. But, but I'll put it this way in the hopes that it sticks. If you charge somebody for sex, whether it's money or something else, that's prostitution, not marriage. If sexual intimacy with your spouse comes with a price tag attached, now you get the picture. I told you this wasn't the most popular part of the Bible. So Paul answers these questions and says, yes, most people will need to be married. And in regards to how often they should come together in intimacy, he says, as often as you desire. Remembering that one of the primary purposes for this is to help your spouse avoid sexual temptation. The rule in marriage is that neither one owns their own body. The body belongs to the Lord and it belongs to your spouse. So you use your body to glorify God and to satisfy your spouse and to help each other remain pure. Now look at verses 6 through 9. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise that self-control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul is saying there in that first verse, while it is the general rule to be married, it's not the commandment to be married. There's no commandment in the Scriptures that says thou shalt marry. Because he said, I wish that all men were like me. Single, unmarried, but not everybody can handle that. He actually says that singleness is a gift. And not everyone has been gifted with the ability to have the level of self-control needed to remain single without falling into sexual sin. No doubt someone had asked him here, if I'm widowed, should I remain a widow or should I get married? What should I do? And Paul says if a person has the ability to remain single, that is a blessing. Why? Why is that a blessing? Well, we read the answer. It's on down in, in, in verses 32 through 35. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. How may please the Lord. But if you get married again, guess what you're going to be cared about? You're going to care about the things of the world, how you can please your wife or how you can please your husband. Right? So, so he goes on to say that. He says, The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. Not that I'm trying to put a leash on you, Paul said. Not that you have to remain single. But it would be better so that you could serve the Lord without any distractions. Amen? Amen? In other words, you won't have to have kind of a divided heart trying to love Christ and love your spouse, trying to please them both. 
This is Paul's reasoning for staying single if you are able to control yourself in that state. But in verse 9, he clarifies, if you can't control yourself, then marry. It's better to marry than to burn in your passion, to burn in your lust. In other words, Paul said, you should be able, if you're single, to be great because you could serve the Lord without any distractions. But the reality is you're very likely to fall into sin if you can't control your lust. So if I have to pick between the two, it would be better for you to serve God with a husband than to fall into sexual sin. Amen? You see that? If you can't control your sexual appetite, your desire, then marry and have your own wife or have your own husband. Hopefully that's helpful to someone. Remember, God is working all things together for good. You may hear it and say, how could this be good? Now, I, 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 don't, I don't know everybody's situation, but here's where you decide whether or not you trust the Lord. Is He the Lord of your body? Does it belong to Him or does it belong to you? That's the question. If you're having difficulties as a married couple sexually, then you should talk to each other. There may be an opportunity for genuine repentance. It may be confessing of sin to God. It may even be confessing of sin to your spouse. That's hard to do. It may be that you both or one or the other of you have defiled your marriage bed with, with pornography or something like that. Just talk to each other and pray together and ask God to forgive and He will. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. It may require asking forgiveness from our spouses. That's a hard thing to do. But there's freedom in that. Sin has a way. When you try to cover up sin, sin has a way of eating like a cancer on the inside until it devastates you both inwardly and outwardly. Better to confess it. And there may be all kinds of other things that we didn't touch on here. Physical issues that prevent change from happening in your life. Then do what you need to do. Talk to doctors. Talk to counselors. Work for a solution together. Pray about it together. But go to war. The conclusion is that God has gifted you with your spouse and one aspect of that marriage is that you fulfill each other's sexual needs so that sexual temptation doesn't overtake either of you. Now let's look at the next potential question. We'll try to be... I won't get through all this one. This is complicated. I, I would imagine the next question sounds like this. Can I leave my spouse? Can I divorce? I don't know if he put it there in this order on purpose, but you can almost hear it. Well, if what you just said is true, if I have to do that, can I just get a divorce? Can I just leave? Because I don't want to live like that. That's what, that's what happens a lot of times in a lot of people. Instead of trying to fix it, they just quit it. Huh? Honestly, this is a very serious question. 
And one that we will not get through today. We won't get through it all. But we can touch on it. We can begin. And we can dive in. And you can think about it this week. Can I leave my spouse? Can I divorce my spouse? This is the question. It's obvious for some reason that the Corinthian church wanted or thought they might need to divorce their spouses. Maybe they thought they could serve the Lord better single. Or maybe they weren't happy in their marriage. Or maybe they were married to an unbeliever. All those things are likely. We don't really know for sure why they ask, but they ask. And so what does Paul say? What does the Spirit of God tell Paul to answer with? Verse 10, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. This is God's stance on divorce. Amen. That's God's stance on it. Amen. When Paul says, yet not I but the Lord, he is saying, this is a direct teaching from Christ Himself. Amen. He's saying, I can take you to the place where the Lord said... These things. Where he taught these things. And his answer was clear. And it's a message our world needs. And it's not one they love. But divorce isn't an option. It's not an option. A wife is not to depart from her husband. A husband is not to divorce his wife. Where did Jesus teach us? Where is Paul getting this from? Mark chapter 10. Verses 1 through 12, he said, Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Why did they ask him to test him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And by the way, he did. For anything. I mean, literally any reason. Like you just had to write a paper and say, I don't like her. And there was it. It's pretty similar today. And Jesus answered them and said this. They probably thought they had it whipped. They thought we've got him here. He's conceited. Listen to what Jesus said. Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote that precept. But from the beginning of creation, he said, it's good you know what Moses said you ought to do. Now let me tell you what my father says. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse 9 is the key. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, his disciples said, well, they, they listened, they kept their mouth shut, and they got him alone in the house, and they said, uh, can we ask you about that divorce thing again? And he said, let me be clear. Verse 11. 
He said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Thus is the Lord's teaching on the matter. Paul uses this teaching from the Lord to show the Corinthian church that they should not divorce. What God has joined together, no man has a right to separate. So how... Do you just see how God the Spirit and God the Son are aligned on this matter? As they are on every matter? Jesus taught these things... The inspiration of the Holy Spirit caused Paul to pin these things down to this church. And as we read in that scripture, not just to this, he taught it in all the churches. It's still binding on the churches today. Amen. You should not leave your spouse. But if you do leave them, you must remain unmarried or be reconciled to them. If you marry another, you commit adultery. In other words, in God's eyes, you are still married. This is hard teaching in the culture we live in today. It doesn't matter, but listen, it doesn't matter what the court says. It doesn't matter what the lawyer says. It doesn't matter what the pastor says. It doesn't matter what your parents say or what your friends say. In God's eyes, you're still married. We don't get to separate what God has joined together. Trust me this morning. I know it's hard. Every other marriage today ends in divorce. 50%, a little over, it bounces between 51 and 48, ends in divorce. And can I tell you that the ripples of divorce are very impactful? Broken families, children, devastated, people hurting. Not all, but many divorces, not all, but many, are done in the name of selfishness. I just don't feel happy. I'm not as happy as I think I could be. You, you would ask, and I'm sure they did too, is there any instance in which divorce is accepted? And I can only share with you what the Scripture says and Fair warning, what I'm teaching to you right now has been debated for hundreds of years. And my approach is as simple as I can make it. I want to say just what the Scripture says and nothing more. If it's misunderstood by me, if I misapply it to you, I pray that God would forgive and correct me. But I just want to say what it says. Matthew 19 and 9. And I say to you, Jesus speaking, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her that is divorced also commits adultery. There does seem to be here an exception. In the case of adultery, I believe that Jesus teaches that a man and a woman can divorce. That's what I believe the Scripture teaches. Amen. There are some that disagree with me on that. Many who would disagree and say, for no reason. But I can't escape that Scripture. 
I believe in the case of adultery that the best scenario is repentance and reconciliation. That is the best scenario. It's not always achievable. This is a betrayal of trust. It's very hard to overcome. And I believe if you cannot overcome it, you are free. According to what the scripture says. Now let me say this. Given what we preached earlier today, I also believe nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Amen. If you don't provide for the sexual needs of your partner in an attempt to starve them so that they will commit adultery, you are not innocent in the matter. By no means do I think God will hold you guiltless in that. Do I think that justifies adultery? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Does it make adultery no longer sinful? Absolutely not. Adultery is a sin and it is in every instance, no matter the reason. But do I think that you're justified if you try to do that to your spouse? If you're innocent in that? Not by any means. Not by any means. There is one other exception. And, and, and I, did, I, I was going to stop there, but I'm going to read it. Just so that we can get this part done. You, you may not care if it gets done, but I care greatly. It's getting mighty uncomfortable. It's true. Verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. Now, some is going to say that this means that, that God didn't say this. Paul's just making something up. It's not what that Scripture means. <coughs> Many interpret that Scripture wrongly. And they'll say, see, this is just Paul's opinion. And he says that. It's not Paul's opinion. Paul's opinion is not in the New Testament. Every Word of Scripture is inspired by God. Every single word of it. What Paul is saying there is opposite of what he said over here. He said, but the rest I, to the rest I, not the Lord say. In other words, he said, I can't take you to the teaching of Christ on this matter. I can't show you a, a Scripture that Christ taught about this. But... I am under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Guess what matters? Guess what? Whether Christ taught it or whether the Holy Spirit gave it, both of those are God. So this is not something where you say, well, I don't have to live by this because this is not what the Lord says. No, this is what the Holy Spirit told Paul to write. It's still binding. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. No doubt Paul received a question that said, what if my spouse is an unbeliever? He'd been teaching not to be unequally yoked. They would have heard that teaching and he would have said, what if she's an unbeliever? What if he's an unbeliever? Can we divorce? Paul said, if they're willing to live with you, 
Do not divorce them. Do not divorce them. A woman who has a husband who does not believe if she if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children will be unclean. That doesn't mean that if you're married to a Christian that you're saved. It just means that God's blessing is upon your home and children. Because there's a believer in your home. And where a believer is, God's blessings are. God's promises rest there. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, it's better for you to stay with that unbeliever. At least they get to see the grace of God in your life. They'll get to see the blessings of God. Your children get to experience the blessings of God because you're there. And he will get to taste some of the blessings of God. And maybe he'll be converted. Maybe she'll be converted. And so he says, stay. But in verse 15, this will be what I would say is the second exception. And the only other one that I see in the Scripture. If the unbeliever departs, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For the sake of adultery, Jesus says there's an exception for the and here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, if you have an unbelieving spouse that chooses to leave you, you don't choose to leave them as a believer. They choose to leave you. And they do that. You are not under bondage in such a case. You're free. To be not in bondage is to be free. That's what I see from the Scripture. Divorce for any other reason, in God's eyes, is not acceptable. And to remarry for any other, if you remarry after divorce for any other reason, it's considered adultery. I can't change that. That may not be popular, but I can't. I can't adjust God's word to make everybody happy. This but what I can tell you is that we have a loving God, and He wrote these things for our benefit that we would avoid those situations. That we would not find ourselves in positions to have to question where we are. That's why we need to teach these things. That's why we need to teach these things to our youth. To our young married couples. To our older married couples. Because these things are important. The church's unwillingness to teach truth and to, and to talk about embarrassing topics at times has got us in the situation we're in. Where everything goes, there's no accountability anymore, and families are devastated. And when the family, listen, you've heard it said many times, the family and the church are so closely connected, as one goes, the other goes. If the family deteriorates, the church deteriorates. If the church is strengthened, the family is strengthened. The only way to make a family strong is through the principles we find in the Word of God. And I believe what we've spoken here today to be truth.
I love you. You may not love me right now. My job is to be honest. Is to tell truth. To herald not my truth. Listen, if I was being 100% honest with you, and I, I grieve over these things. Y'all don't think I do, but I do. Because I wouldn't want to hurt anybody. But if I was being 100% honest with you, if it was up to me, I'd say, I just want everybody to be happy. That's who I am as a person. I just want to see people satisfied. But the reality is, is that's not my job. My job as a pastor is to be honest with this scripture. It's to feed you truth that God wants you to hear because God knows how to love you better than I do. And God knows what's good and right more than I ever will understand it. So today, just know that you're loved by God first and by me too. And uh, if I said anything that bothers you, talk to me about it. Talk to me about it. I'm willing to talk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We love you. Things are hard sometimes, God. And then maybe they shouldn't be, God, but just in the flesh, God, we don't want to hurt feelings, God. We don't want to make people feel less or bothered. But God, today, Lord, what kind of what kind of person would I be if I chose to please men rather than you? And so, God, I pray for every person that's here today, God, and for every person that watches this message, Lord. May they be strengthened by it, God. May it reveal truth, God. May it do a work in homes, wherever that it goes, Father. It's your message, God. And if I spoke anything wrong, Lord, reveal it to me. That I might correct it, God. I don't want to lead anyone in the wrong direction. But God, I believe that the Scripture says what it means. And I believe it's plain and simple and easy to understand. It's just hard to live by sometimes. So strengthen us to do that. Ignite us on fire, God, for you, that we may serve you and love you, and that we may love one another. And may your grace and peace rest upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love you.